Hi everybody, welcome to Film Music Media. My name is Kai Savas, and tonight we have a very special treat. I'm sitting down with Graham Norgate and Grant Kirkhope, the co-composers of GoldenEye 64, with the re-release on the Nintendo Switch and Xbox. I think it is the perfect time to go back and, and look at one of the most iconic video games ever made, and arguably one of the most iconic video game scores ever made. Uh, this is a, a time capsule game that lives in the hearts of people like me who grew up with it uh, from every sleepover, from every weekend. Uh, but now that it's out, a whole new generation of gamers are going to get to experience it. And I think it's the perfect time to reflect back. So, uh, Graham, uh, Grant, thank you so much for uh, for uh, joining me tonight. All right. Hello. Hello. Thank you. So uh, let's, before we jump into Goldeneye, I want to, you know, maybe introduce people to, to who you two are. So uh, let's start with, uh, you know, Take me back to kind of your origin story a little bit. We can go eat, we'll bounce from both of you, but I'm curious to what point in your life did music kind of, do you remember the catalyst moment in your life where you decided music sound was going to be like your passion and your career? Do you remember the moment that that happened or was it just something gradual along the way that you just woke up one day and you're like, oh, I'm, this is what I'm doing for a living. So I'm curious if there's any kind of origin story to eat. If, Grant, if you want to kick us off. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. I guess, well, yeah, I've played in bands a lot, you know, since leaving, you know, we did do school and stuff. And when I left university, I just played in like bands for like 11 years, like rock bands. And uh, I was a classically trained trumpet player. And uh, I was played in a soul band for quite a long time, like a soul funk band, like a working band, like four or five gigs a week for like seven years, something crazy like that. Yeah. Um, we never really got anywhere, but we did lots of gigs. Um, and um, yeah, I played in the horn section for a, a rock band called Little Angels, who were quite big in the UK at the time. We did some big tours with like Bon Jovi and Van Halen and Brad Adams and played big arenas and all that, but as the only in band, you know. And then uh, my uh, my friend and Graham's mutual friend, um, Robin Beanland, um, he was a he played in one of the local bands that I played for in my local area, and he announced one day he got a job, and he was like a keyboard player, and he said, I'm going to go and work at Rare and write music for video games, and I was like, that's a job, you can do that, I, I just had no idea, you know, it was like, it must be like 1994, something like that, 93 yeah. and a bit, and then um, off he went, and he'd been there about a year and a half, and he sort of said to me, I've been on, off and on unemployment benefit for like easy 11 years, like the whole time, like doing some tours, yeah. signing on the unemployment benefit, do a tour, it was like that, you know, pretty bad, so he said, you know, you've been on unemployment for like 11 years don't you think it's time you got a job and I was like well you know what can I do at 33 so well why don't you try to do what I'm doing right we did for video games so he recommended that I buy a copy of Cubase and a synth and bits and pieces and I sent like wow. five cassette tapes up to Rare over the course of 1994 must have been never got a reply and then out the when Graham can remember this like, out the blue because there I out the blue got a letter saying please come for an interview and I got the bloody job couldn't believe it so wow. absolute fluke if Robin had done it I'd never ever have done it so it's all Robin Beanland's fault. That's what I say. <laughs> and it, it wasn't. It wasn't just a, a mates thing either, because you sent umpteen tapes in, and yeah. they were they were getting better each time. And then <laughs> and um, and then uh, you know it got to a stage where well, let's, let's get the guy in. Let's talk to him. <laughs> yeah. I'm not saying the I'm not saying the, the ones before were terrible. Yes, you are. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just trying to say because I don't think we were looking for anyone anyway at the time. Mm. And then. As we as Rare was expanding and it was expanding rapidly at that time, um, it's like right, we need another musician. Um, and I, I, Grant had a, sent another tape in, and it's like, all right, <laughs> this, this is great. Let's get him in. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, Graham, take take us back to your kind of origin story. How did you kind of uh, end up in that in this career that you are? Do you remember the catalyst in your life that kind of put you on this path? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, before, right at the start, I was plonked in front of a piano for piano lessons when I was about six, which I found uh, very boring because it was, you know, it was all scales and uh, all the stuff that you, you're supposed, all the theory and stuff like that, which um, as a six-year-old, I didn't, I didn't know why I was doing it. It was just yeah. something that was done. And I, and um, that was, that went on for a bit, but then um, I, I found, I found or was given a little tiny keyboard it was like monophonic and stuff you know little basic one and I thought this is much more fun than the piano and um and it, <laughs> as cool as it sounds I got into <laughs> I, I my music my instrument of choice was was a uh, electronic organs and I started um going to lessons like group lessons and I kept getting moved up you know to another skill set of you know another level and I just that was it I just loved synths loved you know any all, all that kind of stuff yeah and at, around the same time I was playing computer games and I just thought 
I want to do computer games because <laughs> that's all I, you know, that's all I did all, all, all day long. And I want to do music for computer games, uh, even though, like Grant said, you know, it, surely that's not a job, you know, that, that, <laughs> yeah. that, that can't be a real thing. But um, yeah, I mean, that was, yeah, 10 years later, then it certainly was a, becoming more of a, you know, a known job. And I just saw a, I was living in a shared house with, um, friends who were all working in the games industries like Sony and I think Virgin at the time or something and I was just flicking through a, a game magazine called The Edge and at the back they used to have um, you know, job adverts and there was never that there was never any for for audio for, or composers or, or musicians but there was this one that said rare um, we want a musician blah 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 and I thought I didn't even I didn't even know who they were because they were they were they used to be known as Ultimate when I was a kid, and Ultimate did the best games on the micro home microcomputers at the time. I mean, it's a it's definitely a UK stuff. I don't think it ever reached America, but their their games looked you know miles ahead of everyone else's. Yeah. So didn't know who Rare were. I didn't really really I didn't really think too much about where they were based. You know, in in comparison <laughs> to me in the UK, I just thought I'd just send them a tape. I, you know, right. um, and yeah, like Grant said, went went for the interview, got the job, and it's like, oh right, I've got three weeks to completely pack my house up, <laughs> move to the countryside, and start a new life. <laughs> so, wait, wait, you work at, didn't you work in a bank for a while, Graham? Before that? Oh yeah, I, I had office jobs. Um, right. Right. Yeah, I left I left school really young uh, because I wanted to do music. I wanted to do music as further education and uh turned up on the first day and there was only three people in the course and, and the school just went no we're not going to do it <laughs> so, <laughs> so, well, I, I don't want to there's no reason for me to be here so I left and I self-taught myself composition while I was doing these office jobs for many years and wow. and like Grant ended up on the doll <laughs> and um not as successful as him but you know played in bands and, and stuff like yeah. that and um uh, all the all the all the while you know writing music to sort of better myself and, and stuff like that so it was it was a bit of a fluke that you know I was reading that magazine that day saw yeah. the advert and um sent it in and they must have been desperate because they took me on <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well let's 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 go back to those early days of rare so i mean you just mentioned you know grant that how you were submitting for the job but graham so you were already there and maybe take us paint the picture of what the the day the days were like when Goldeneye I guess showed up at Rare. How did that license get to Rare? And back then I don't I don't know if a, a Bond license meant as big of a thing as it did today because Bond games I know there were some Bond games in the eighties but they weren't anything kind of crazy. Yeah, yeah. They there were loads on the the home micros, you know, yeah. of Europe like Spectrum, Commodore sixty four, um, Amstrad, those sort of systems. But they were um, licensed games had a a bad rap back then because they it was like well we've got this side scrolling shooter let's make him Bond or make let's make him Robocop or yeah you know, in, insert film license here and and that was basically it. Also Bond had uh, with Timothy Dalton had kind of sort of peaked, you know might have been going downhill a bit so it was um, it was a uh, like you say, not quite the catch that it used to be, which is probably why Rare got it, because you know, the, yeah, I don't, it was not as desirable um, as it as it could have been. Um, but I, I don't know the ins and outs of how they got it, but at the time it was going to be a Super Nintendo game because it was just at the cusp of um, of well, the the, the Nintendo sixty four was was right. in development but not close to being out. Um, and uh, I mean, the story goes that Martin Hollis, who was the, the team lead on that game, said, I, I, "I want to do it, but I want to do it for the next gen." Yeah. Um, so that's how that went, and and he had quite a lot of cachet at the time um, because he, you know, he, he was he'd worked on the previous game, Killer Instinct, and and the bosses liked what he did. So. Um, 
yeah, it was in those early embryonic days, that's all it was. It's like, well, this new system's coming out in 1995, which <laughs> it didn't. And the film's coming out in 1995, which it did. Yes. So let's make, let's make the game come out then, which it obviously did. <laughs> but, you know, the rest is history. Right. You, rem you remember a game for, for what it's like once it's done, not, not how promptly it came out. That we yeah. were lucky that it, we didn't have to force it out or rush it out. And, we, I, we and I think a lot of the people who were playing Goldeneye at the time were probably not even old enough to watch Bond in theaters. I know from I remember I actually specifically remember my parents going to see Goldeneye in theaters. Like there was there going out for date night with their friends, and I was like, I want to see that movie. And I was just like, <laughs> <laughs> but um, and I did. I mean, I remember collecting all the VHS tapes and everything too. I mean, I had my whole Bond collection. But um, so when did so when did you start working on it graham and then so grant were you on there yet or the, were you specifically hired to come on to to goldeneye i think i was just hired to be the extra hand i think at the start yeah. i feel like like I, when i first got that i had to do the game boy stuff so i was i was converting um diddy kong's quest from the super nes to work on the original gray game boy right and graham right, was right, doing yeah, yeah. graham was doing goldeneye and blast Core and ken is it ken griffey or jeffrey griffey no i was doing Cracky, there was a year where I was doing Killer Instinct conversion to the Super Nintendo. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Lost Core, Goldeneye, and I think I was doing Killer... I, was, I, I, I don't know. There might have been another one. There might have been a Game Boy one as well. Oh, but, yeah, I thought you did, you did you Ken Griffey baseball. Something. I thought you did that. Oh, no, right. I, didn't, I didn't do that. But no, and the Killer Instincts version of the Game Boy. Uh, right, Game right. So, yeah, my, my workload was pretty packed. And... Um, yeah, Grant was here doing, you know, he talented guy doing these this um conversion. I mean, you were just you were doing it by ear, aren't you? You were just playing the tape and sort of um Well yeah, yeah, I know, but I mean you know, it was I found it bloody hard, like you know. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, it was it was a waste, I think it was a waste of your talent. So um I I think it was just like um I was clearly doing too much. There was this guy doing hardly yeah. anything. I was doing all this stuff. And so I think you were writing tunes on spec, weren't you? Because um, to, to play to Martin. Yeah, I think, um, I, just, I remember you come to me one day and say, Grant, like I'm doing all this stuff. Do you mind taking up a Golden Eye for a little while, you know, till I get done with all the, the shit ton of work that you had to do, right? And I was like, you're kidding, I'd love to do it. So they agreed that I could do Game Boy in the morning and, and then- <laughs> That was it. That was it. in the afternoon. So, so that was, that's, so, so I think like November 95. As I was treat. doing that. <laughs> oh, yeah, I have a goal that the game by the morning, wait to get to lunch, and then get out to get golden in the afternoon, you know, then Graham was doing loads of other stuff, you know. So that's how it worked out. Like that, yeah. I remember like Graham had to show me how it all worked. I was like, oh my God, this is just like not, you know, not easy. It's like, you know, having to get all this. When I re finally realized how you had to get the sounds into the machine, it was like, what? This is like, this is how you do it. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's going to sound awful, you know. So uh, Graham showed me all that stuff, you know. Yeah, there was, there was, there's certainly, Game music back then, I mean, well, I expect it's it's probably there's there's always bits that are you know not creative and it, you're just you're crunching numbers really. And yeah. back then we had we had no space memory wise, so you know it was fine fine to do the music, but then you had to somehow get it into the machine, which mm. didn't even have the machine really at the time. We had sort of test hardware and no one was really sure the final specs or you know how many how many polyphony voices we could have i mean it was all up in the air wasn't it grant mm, yeah and I, I also remember um it came it came with that standard mario reverb that's in the mario 64 castle game and you know that not castle but then the first super mario 64 and i yeah. remember we didn't like it it was really kind of bathroomy so we me and Graham just sat one day, and all it was was a big table of numbers, wasn't it? Like we didn't, we had no idea what they did. So Graham just yeah. randomly, we said, "Look, try that as a sixteen, that was a four, and just typed in random numbers until it sounded <laughs> all right to us, you know." Um, and it, it got fixed later because there was no programmer time available; they were all busy, right? So we just like sat there typing in numbers completely randomly. Wow, it looks quite nice now, <laughs> you know. Um, and so you just had to do it because no one would help you, would they? Mm. Yeah, it was. Um, I mean, the teams were very small. I mean, now. If you work on a it you know AAA game, you could have an audio team of 12, 20 people, mm. God, God knows how many. And the uh all the all the jobs are very uh you know they've 
diversified so it's very special specialist so right you know you know you get people doing just foley or people doing environments um just working on speech and then you'll get the composers and stuff back in those days it was it was <laughs> a one-man band you know you had to tell yeah. everything because you were and, yeah uh, you did you did sound design and score right graham like yeah. you were the yeah, yeah i'd say sound design is is, is a very um generous term for, for what we did back then um <laughs> Yeah, it's. Uh, I wasn't going out with a microphone recording, you know, field recording or anything like that. But. Before we uh, before we jump into more of the intricate details, though, I'm curious, what was the directive on the game? Like when you started working, was it that you guys have a lot? Because of course, it's a, actually a very faithful adaptation of the film, and you had the likenesses of you know all the actors. I mean, Pierce Brosnan's on the cover, and uh, the, the the models are all you know. It's very faithful of the of the actual plot of Goldeneye, and then of course the score itself clearly i think drawing some inspiration from what eric sarah did on this on the film but also you guys took it to a whole new level and i think created something very signature to what the game is so i'm curious how much creative freedom did you guys have what was there like a very kind of direct map that you had to follow or was it just like let's just try what works <laughs> like yeah, there was no, no any of that wasn't a great it's just like here just write these tunes i've got a very loose level list from duncan bockwood it was just like a few sentences about each level wasn't it and i just yeah. wrote what i thought fitted. i had no idea really you know <laughs> yeah and, I, and also we had we had the license to the use monty norman's theme right so i'm not convinced the bond games after that got the got the rights to the monty norman theme i feel like we had it i don't think the other games later did so we could use it any we wanted to. So we were like, fantastic, you know, it's great to you because it's one of the all-time greatest themes of all time, isn't it? You know, so yeah. you get to mess around with that, was fantastic fun. And also we had that double CD, didn't we, of all the pop songs that preceded the movie. And so I was like, just going through that, stealing bits all over the place, you know, like, so, um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was super loose, wasn't it? No one, I don't think anybody really bothered what the real, I don't think. Really so was it right. your guys' idea to follow kind of closely the style of the film, at least score a little bit? I mean, I, I could hear a little of the, the main theme, the Bono's theme, you know, uh, in there a little bit, and, you know, but you guys did so many amazing variations on the theme. Each level was a, a new take on the theme. And I'm just like, this is incredible. It never gets tired. The loop never gets boring, never irritating. So I'm, yeah, take me through all that. I think the, the that was one of the plus points of the game being so late is we got to see the actual film and we got oh, to hear yeah. the soundtrack. Because otherwise we wouldn't have taken those elements. I mean, um, it was very different from from a classic Bond score. It was yes, very, 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 uh, very different take. But um, there was clearly elements that you know were we we liked. I mean, I I I, I remember coming back from the, the theater thinking he played the he played the dun, 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 on the tins. On, on timps, and I thought. <laughs> I'm definitely doing that. And I think the next day I went into the office and I went, dun, 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 dun. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Eric, Sarah, some money for that. <laughs> I mean, it was a very polarizing Bond score. I think to this day, it's still yeah. one of the most polarizing. But I think for people like me who grew up in the, and, you know, I was born in 87 and so in the 90s, I was really coming into really loving Bond. And that's, and of course, that was a big transition, a new Bond and Martin Campbell taking over and clearly trying to do something different. I know Eric, I've interviewed Eric about the score and he kind of had, you know, a bad time on it because he was trying something new and they ended up replacing, you know, the big tank chase was done without his knowledge, replacing more orchestral stuff. And and what you see on the CD is what he wrote uh, on the album. But um, I think it lends itself to the game so well because it was not traditional orchestral kind of flourishing John Barry. So that would have been so much harder, I think, at the time for you guys to probably mimic and with yeah. the technology you had so it probably lent yourself it kind of gave yourself a platform to really just rise up and do what you guys did so well right <laughs> yeah i feel like it's a kind of more a mishmash we mashed together electronics with like you know strings and stuff but i guess yeah. it's, you call it hybrid these days i mean that was you know it's coming to a fall i think late 80s to now it was getting that way where you're getting you know like Hans Zimmer was doing things stuff with strings and synthesizers and all that so it's kind of already there for us to kind of pull from you know and i mean plus the fact we have such a limited, tiny little thing of music, instrument we can actually use that you just you pick things that sounded half decent and hope for the best, right? Just cross your fingers and thought, you know, it doesn't sound that great, but maybe it'll get by. You know? <laughs> yeah, and I think also, I mean, I, you you would know more about this than us, but um, as the '90s started and you know and, and progressed, uh, there was a well, there was a spate before then where orchestras weren't used as often 
Right. And yeah, there's a lot of synthy electronic scores in films at sort of late 80s and nudging into the 90s. But then I think uh, people thought, oh, let's get the orchestras back, they sound better. And I think <laughs> yeah, we, were, we were at that crossover period, yeah. there, which was lucky for us because, um, yeah, there's no way we could have done convincing orchestral music given no. 12, 12 or 16 you know, voices. No and, and the memory so we kind of it, yeah the, the hybrid really worked in our favor yeah definitely so how did you guys split uh like what was the i guess the 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 game plan when the game started i know great you just mentioned you had just some little descriptions of the levels and then you kind of wrote to that was there a way to were you guys talking about creating a flow how did you split the levels who did what and like was there any kind of like structure to how you guys were approaching this and to make sure there was a flow and you know, once you got to the end of the cradle level, that was there kind of a momentum like like you're going through an album, or were you just trying to f find the little you know, oh, this is a snow level, this is more open, oh, this is you know, more this is, you know, needs a little bit more fun music, or you know, caves or caverns needs a little bit. You know, I'm curious how did you decide on the style for each track for each uh, for each level? <laughs> well, I think basically there was no guidance whatsoever, and me and me and Graham, you know, Graham started it, and then he got he got busy, and I and I took it over for a little while, and so. Yeah. I just went through the levels in the list and then I got taken off to go and do Banjo Kazooie and Graham came back and it, it was no, there was no actual planning at all. It just kind of, we just, I'm leaving now. I, Graham said, I'm leaving now. So, so I, it was just uh, like handing the baton off. It was like, there was, was there any crossover where you guys yeah. were on at the same time or was it always just like passing it back and forth? No, I think we're separate. I think Graham did it, then I did it, then Graham did it. And that's like, well, there was no oh, wow. planning yeah. at all. Yeah, I think the only time when we worked on it together was, um, when so yeah grant was 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 on it and then uh the boss took him off to like you said do banjo kazooie and and gradually we were starting to get the game was starting to come together so uh that's when you you can actually start playing these levels with the music and sounds in and, and you know see if it works and i think there was a we realized that the, the tunes were too short so you went back and you extended everything you'd done and then mm -hmm. I think there was another point where we wanted the sort of the, the very uh, it's very black and white, but it's it's we, there was certain points in a level where everything kicks into gear and oh, yeah, yeah. switches into into a, a high energy version. And yeah, I think then it was oh Grant, can you write one of these for every tune you've done? <laughs> <laughs> so um, um, yeah, uh, but. Yeah, it was it was strange. There was there was just a list of levels, and then mm. as like I said, as the, when the game uh, was was getting more com completed, we could actually play the game and see what was working and and expand on that. Um, but yeah, that was it. There was, so there was how did, no... yeah, how does that work? So did they send you? So you'd write stuff kind of based on. Did you see any stills or concept art to draw from? And then before you saw gameplay, so did you have some imagery of what the levels would look like or feel like? Yeah. I think even before, even before I started on it, there was some very uh, early uh, knockups. Well, you know, you could fly through a level, um, and I think they were mostly made by the designers. So it was just for them to quickly block something out to to start right. working on the gameplay. Um, but you know, it's we were so lucky to have that that theme tune that mm. oh yeah and it, <laughs> you know yeah but and and also the style of bond films you know we every well, mm. we, we all three of us grew up loving yeah. bond films and you know i, I loved the, the the sort of the john barry um years and so you you've got something intrinsically ingrained in your head to what it's what it should sound like um and it was before it was at a time in, in game music where it didn't have to be complicated com complex and interactive like right you do mm. now mm. you know it's it's very much press play press play on the cd well not press play on the cd but you know press play <laughs> play tune start again and 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 blah 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 yeah. um so for that we could rely on on the strength of the melody uh and we were given all the melodies. <laughs> <laughs> it was the, like so. Would a certain level dictate how long? Because you know, you I can you can 
certain i think uh levels had you know longer tracks shorter tracks so something like runaway i mean i remember you could finish that in like 30 seconds if you wanted to you can just on agent just go through it whereas something you know like caverns maybe take a little bit longer did you take that into account of how long that piece had to be and also given how much space you had to to do it did you have more space to work with on the longer levels well the length of the tune didn't matter because that was that would that was just midi a midi file so that was a, yeah. like, you know a few kilobytes or whatever so um so that that data was fine it was the and they all picked from the same bank of samples so okay. length, length of the tune wasn't such an issue um and i i can't remember but i'm pretty sure i didn't i just wrote the tune until it sounded good i don't think yeah. i thought oh this is a short level or this is a long level because also the gameplay was being put in until the very last minute so oh, wow. and, ch and changing all the time so when i wrote that tune i can guarantee it was you know there wasn't it wasn't finalized or anything like that no and i, I feel like I, I don't think I, I ever played it i don't think ever while i was writing the music i don't think it was playable until after i'd finished so i never got to play any of the levels kind of thing and like Greg uh -huh. said it was the length of the tune was irrelevant i mean we were still trying to make mini files smaller you know because people were trying to save memory on those so like if you had a repeating drum pattern that was like you know do for one bar rather than write that bar out eight times you'd put loopers inside of that one bar to play that, a little thing in the menu to say play eight times so you save seven bars of like i mean think with the information in, the, in seven bars of midis like it's bytes right it's absolutely tiny yeah. but yeah. you could actually loop so when we, if you had to go back to try to edit the midi file if you if end up on the team change it's like oh my god i've got to go back to the midi file and he couldn't, he wouldn't play because it's all in this ridiculous format of like one bar here of drums and the rest was blank and all that, you know, it was a total mess. So, you know, it's just, you know, I, I remember like, I remember we had the system where when Graham first came out to use it, like, you, you, you know, you, you get to, for example, one note. So if you've got a clarinet, you put our sample of the C3 in the middle somewhere and then yeah. loop it till it was tiny, tiny, tiny. And then you'd, you'd resample it down from 4.1 kilohertz, which is CD quality down to like 16 kilohertz, which is like less than half quality. I mean, this, this program called Cool Edit, didn't we? That was a, an a, a, a audio editing program. And this had a feature called Top Boost. And so we used to click the Top Boost like a couple of times to try and get some more treble back on the <laughs> on the file and then whap it into the N64 and then try and play it, you know, and like, so because you had one note. Yeah. So I'd be right in C3, but if you played higher than that, I got Mickey Mouse, he played lower than that. It was like, whoa, 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 whoa. So, you know, it was how on earth it even sounds remotely good. Is, you know, to people yeah. these days, it's absolutely crazy. Can you think what we had to do to it to make it even sound? Even then, we were cringing like them right now. You know. Yeah, <laughs> I, but I, I think also, I think as as we went along, though, we we did have an audio programmer, and he wrote yeah. um, software so that we could sit at Cubase, right, write the music, and it would come out of this, oh, um, come out of the hardware. Right. So this that is how it would sound, you know, in the game. And that gave us quite a lot of creative freedom because um, with some of the sounds, you could play them way down low with tons of the, you know, the rubbishy re reverb that we'd, we'd invented. Um, but you'd get these nice effects from it, mm. which you would mm. never have probably thought of if you were just sat with a, a load of pristine keyboards and sound modules and samplers and stuff. So it, yeah. it, it pushed you, creative, you know, creatively to try and come up with something because also by the time we got to like 20 tunes or however many tunes there were it's like, <laughs> say, what can we do now to to make this theme sound different <laughs> yeah were you guys running out of ideas <laughs> no but i feel like it was like because we could actually play like we actually played the the, the, the the samples that we put into the into, into the machine we actually yeah. could play those samples from the our computers right so Again, so we could hear what it sounded like. So I guess some people were like writing things on full quality synths, so it sounded amazing, and then try to crunch it down and get it, and it sounded awful. So we actually played the actual things in the in the N64. So we knew what we, we knew what sounded bad. You, this sounds bad up here. This sounds bad down here. So you could make it. You know, I guess we had that advantage. I don't have anybody else had that at the time, but we certainly had that. So that was a, that was a really cool thing for us to have. You know. Wow. And so, I mean, beyond the levels, there's also, of course, the iconic Grant, your your pause music. So, <laughs> I know, I could have thought it. Eh? I can, I can, you know, if only I owned it. If only, if only I owned that music. I could make some money out of it, for God's sake. But I, alas, I don't. Which I, mean, you know, I, I yeah. No, but how do you, how does that even come? Like, you like, I need pause music. How, what, is, what does that directive even 
mean, I mean, I sent you that reel that guy made, which I thought was hilarious. Where the guy yeah, was like, oh, that, yeah. when the band really got like when they knew they had something <laughs> good, I'll maybe I'll play it here. Well. You couldn't process a Sam D delivery if you tried. Hey guys, we need a song for this 007 pause music that we're working on. Listen, it doesn't need to be the hardest trap beat of 97. It's just pause music. I mean, you know, I'm sure Graham agree. When it comes to the pause, you just kind of go, ah, it's just something to pray. But you, well, it's pause. You don't think much about it. It takes you 10 minutes to write, 20 minutes to write, and you forget it, you know. So I don't think I've ever thought much about any of the pause that I've written. I'm sure Graham's the same. I mean, it's, it's just something you write because you have to have one, right? And I mean, it's bizarre how, it's, how that's become like a little bit of a, you know, TikTok sensation. It's, you just yeah. never know, do you, how these things go, like things that you don't care about. I remember I wrote the Superman because only for the squirrel that I thought was rubbish, and everyone loved it. <laughs> And it's like, it's often the stuff that you don't care about that's the best stuff in it because you just write it because you don't care. You just go, ah, oh, that'll do, you know. And um, that's bizarre. I mean, it's, it's nice to see it kicking around, you know. I just wish I'd got some money for it. That'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> you could put some furniture in your house. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Are you in a, are you, do you need help? Link three times for yes. <laughs> are you being held hostage somewhere? <laughs> But I mean, I mean, to this day, I think the but just that theme, the fact that you guys, I think the fact that the theme is all over the the score, and the fact it probably took this long for us to get it, like the licensing, I mean, it must have been a nightmare just to get that out. And of course, there was never really a proper soundtrack release, right? There is nothing that an official. No. So to the, the fact that we're talking about this score that's never been officially released, that people have to rip directly from you know the game and create their own soundtracks, and then I think that's speaks so much to the volume of the work that you guys did and how it resonates with everybody. I mean, and, uh, but speaking more to some of the music, who, who did the, uh, the, the, the first menu music when you log in, just the, dun -dun 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 -dun, like when you're picking the mission and everything. I did that one. Yeah. That the, one the, main too. Theme at, the main theme at the start was kind of me and Graham did it together. I yeah. think, you know, we, we kind of, I did the rock guitar in it because I'm, you know, I'm a metal guitar player kind of thing and Graham worked out that he could, have a few little sections of guitar you can link them together and that you can make the because we couldn't put the whole bond thing would be too long as a sampler to play right but Graham worked out if i went and then you can get the whole theme out of those little bits right i was like oh great so he put all that together um you know so i think like um you know i mean i think you know i think also that that we could never get that right could we that did it we just couldn't we tried we both had to go to we just couldn't get it to fit that kind of jazzy phrasing we just couldn't get it right so just it just came out as it did you know it's always it always sounded wrong whenever i when i when i did it we couldn't get it right no way but there's also some moments that I within the game where the music shifts. Like, of course, everyone loves the elevator music from you know, who did the the elevator music? Robin did that. Robin, that's his one piece in the game. Oh, the one piece. That's right. He yeah, did. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. And then there's there's another. I think in Cradle there's a shift too. Like it has music playing, and then when you trigger Trevelyan to go down to the end, it goes. It triggers a new piece of music. I think that's the only level where there's two like actual like main things, right? And when it gets triggered, how was that kind of approach i think that the jungle has one the, oh yeah xenia's uh battle music yeah. right because yeah. i originally i wrote this track again it, and this was i think the second or third piece i wrote before i'd even seen anything and 
it was very unsuitable. It's more like a strategy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, know what, what, I don't know what I was thinking. Presenium? Um, yeah, well, yeah, maybe, but I hadn't seen the film by that point. But, um, yeah, we thought, okay, let's remove the music and just, just rely on the on the ambient sounds. And then when it kicks in, we'll use the, the energy, you know, the piece of, of that tune. And, and Oh, no, yeah, that's right, because the, the, the jungle had no music until Xenia, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was one of those yeah, all ambient sounds. But with that thing where we, that, that's just my mistake. So we had like an ambient drum sample, not drum sample, a little loop that's kind of bird noises for the jungle, right? Yeah. And you just triggered it from MIDI file. So I just put in this big long MIDI file with one long note for like 32 bars, right? And then it would just, but if you pause the game and unpause it, because there's no new MIDI note on command, the ambient just stopped playing. So, so it would go, go completely silent. Neither of us spotted that. And then the game came out, we're like, oh God. But like, I was like, it was clearly my fault. I was thinking, oh, I, did, I have no idea. So you just pause the game, turn on again, and the ambience just vanishes. It's completely silent. It's like, <laughs> yeah, no, no, no patches in those days. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, it was for that level. It was always a joke with my friends and I because it was silent until you triggered Xenia. And we'd always joke because we'd try to kill her as fast as you could. So it would just start like three seconds. And then she just, stuck, <laughs> you know, and then so, even to this day when I was playing, because I when it came out on Switch, I, I it's funny. I just literally, the way my brain works, I can't remember algebra, but I can remember where every single, right. <laughs> every single NPC is in that. So I beat it in two sittings and uh, it was just like, yeah, it's exactly how I remember it. <laughs> and I, do, I do feel like, you know, that sometimes like, when, you know, if you get part of someone's childhood, like, 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 you know, with the games that we worked on, it's a really, it's sort of humbling thing, really, because I think in that kind of finite sort of five to 14 age group, I feel like yeah. you remember, you know, I remember all the theme tunes for all the cartoons I like to watch back then, Scooby Doo, exactly. Thunderbirds. I think, and I think that, you know, with GoldenEye, the people in that little age group never forget it for the rest of their lives, right? I think that, like you, you remember everything about it. I think it's, I don't think it's, when you work on games like we did back then, you know, that doesn't cross your mind until much later when people start to go in the 20s and 30s and say, oh, I remember that. And they can, they can talk about it way more than we can remember, you know. I feel like yeah. it's such a, a weird thing that I kind of realised recently, that that little finite gap of age, it, mm. you just don't forget that for the rest of your life, you know, it's crazy. It there's crazy. definitely there's definitely a gap between when you write something and when you get people, oh, I just love that, you know, because I was at uni or I was at school and it reminds mm. me of a happier time. It's a shame that anything I write today, I'll be dead before that happens again. <laughs> well, talk to me about the, the the once the game came out, it was a hit. I mean, it sold eight million copies, I think, something like that. I mean, it, to this day, it's credited as you know defining the first person shooter genre, and people say you know Call of Duty owes all the all the way back to to Goldeneye, and of course, people like me who grew up on it. So, was the I I don't remember, you know from my age, what the, the, you know, reaction was to the game. I just remember getting it for Christmas or something. And then it was there for every sleepover. So for you guys, was the reaction immediate? And did you get surprised by how much of a hit it was? There's no internet, right? So yeah, there was no internet. You so. had to wait for the month for the magazines to review it and come out, right? So you sort of sat there with no one had any idea. And also a lot of games go a big spike and then go like that. When Golden yeah. was a real slow burner, wasn't it, Graham? And I mean, I remember yeah. Ken Lobb saying that it sold more in the second year than the first year and more in the third year than the first two years combined, which is, for a game, super unusual. Usually it's a big spike at the start, then it just kind of trickles along. So Golden I, I feel like it sort of crept out because it was way after the movie came out. It crept out quite quietly and then just slowly just... It was, I mean, I think that I didn't really realise how big it got until maybe coming to America even, you know, in 2008. I feel like... You know, the college dorms, that college dorm thing on Golden Hour was massive in America, wasn't it? That that Very people much. Was, was played it till they couldn't play it anymore, you know. And so I think that, and there was no internet. So we, we, I don't think we had any idea until much later on how well it was no. done. You know? and, and also, I mean, it, you know, it's it's easy to, to look back now and, 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 and talk about it, but it wasn't expected to be a huge game. No, um, right. It was, I mean, the team certainly... Like like everyone who works on anything creatively, you lose all judgment and stuff, and you don't know. Sure, if, yeah. Uh, if 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 this is a turkey or if it's going to be successful, and it took Nintendo by by surprise, and it took them a long time to make those cartridges and get them shipped. Mm. They were getting shipped on a boat from China. I mean, it's very yeah. different <laughs> from the day where you know next day delivery on absolutely anything you want. <laughs> Um, so they were constantly having trouble trying to get the numbers into the stores. 
Wow. And I still have my kept, cartridge. <laughs> it just kept on kept on going, didn't it? And mm, um, mm. and where we worked, we were we were very insulated from a lot of stuff. Like Grant said, we I mean they might have had the internet back then, but it was only on in one room of the that's right, yeah, presence. in the house, yeah, it was. Yeah. Uh, on you one knock off the phones, yeah, to check your email. Yeah, nothing. Yeah, <laughs> um, nothing. And um and we were we were such a microcosm back then that you yeah. worked on these things and then by the time it came out you'd be working on something else and and like grant said you know it was magazines back then so mm. you get a review and go oh yeah they like it but that was it there was no you know people commenting saying this is, this is rubbish <laughs> or this is great or <laughs> had no idea did uh, oh, did it yeah sorry but rare like, rare like sorry. sort of super sort of super secretive too didn't they like to keep it very secret we never did any interviews it was a kind of this kind of very clandestine thing and they used to always say let the games do the talking we're not we're not pop stars let the games are talking we just make them and, not, and as, as graham was saying before they were trying to even at some points keep our names off the credits on the game so no one knew who made it and all that stuff you know so um it was just the way it was a bit rare but they just wanted to do let the games do the talking and the stamper family themselves were very kind of private and very very secretive you know yeah. that's the way they were so that that's the way the company was so we never got to meet anybody outside the company for like years you know we just sat in those four walls you know <laughs> that place and like you know we occasionally went for a curry and that was about it you know so it wasn't like a party place it was like in the middle of nowhere there's nothing in Twycross apart from a private school or one pub which was awful and and a, and a tractor repair place wasn't there? and that, I think that was it it was a tiniest village in the middle of nowhere so there was nothing you know that is mm. crazy to me because I mean that yeah now it's so funny after I beat the game and I mentioned before we started recording, you know once I beat the game I went back and you can still enter the old cheat codes the same way you, you could with the left right up down R two blah 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 so thankfully I couldn't get my hands on that wireless N sixty four controller uh, that Nintendo has always sold out for the Switch but my brother had it so I brought it downstairs because I was trying to break my brain trying to remap what everything was for those codes so I just used that and then when I unlock of course all the extra bonus characters in multiplayer. For the first time to this day, when I saw your names there, everything clicked. <laughs> I saw Graham and Grant as two selects. <laughs> and then when you pick them, the character designs, I'm like, oh my God, those are your faces. <laughs> because growing up, my friends and I literally named every face. We named them after famous actors. Uh, Graham, right. Ed Harris. And <laughs> Grant was, God, uh, what did, who do we name? Oh God, Grant. Oh, who's the guy from... Um... Uh, Little Miss Sunshine. I forget. <laughs> but, oh, I don't know. But you were, yeah, we we're all actor names. So we were just like, I had, you know, like George Clooney was named one of them. And then I guess they were just all the face designs were just uh, developers and people work on the team for all the, uh, the yeah. NPCs. Mm. That is so funny. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I think, because um, I think uh, Brett did that, didn't he? He did that all that, didn't he? And I think, because um, Ken, a lot of the Nintendo, Ken Lobson there, isn't he? Is he Nintendo staff? He is on the one of the faces, isn't he? I think. Would have thought so. Yeah. Yeah. Just, sure. just, all, just all the rest stuff, wasn't it? Like anybody that, that Brett could find to, to take a photograph of. Got yeah. It was just like, yeah, there's like just JPEG yeah. wrapped around or whatever. But yeah. And then you see, like, you know, then you hit the credits and then, you know, David Doke, Dr. Doke was one of the characters from Facility. And it's just, mm. it seemed like such a small, a kind of intimate team that made this, you know, you can feel the love and I think the, the care. And the, even though it seemed like it was just like you're flying by the seat of your pants and trying to get things done, but it just seemed, it did seem like a, a small group of people who did it. It didn't seem like a big corporate, you know, machine of a game. So no, I mean, I think like, I, when you see that picture with that, that one outside the block with those uh, the Japanese guys there, and that, I, I just thought, God, there wasn't many of us. I, I feel like the team was bigger than it was. It was like 12 people. It was like tiny, wasn't it? Yeah. Like, yeah. I know, yeah. and like most of us had no idea what we were doing, really. Right. And there's no big corporate overstructure going or focus groups like you get these days. It was just a slot going, I don't know. Let's just. I think it sounds good like that. And Graham said, "I don't quite like this." And yeah, you know, there was no. We just. And then when they make it the level, they're like, "Let's make this to a, to a corner here and turn it around here." And you know, nobody really knew what we're doing. And I kind of feel like sometimes with games these days, lots of people yeah. know what they're doing, and they it's not the right way to do it. You should not know what you're doing. <laughs> games these days get shipped out when they're broken and and you know the, the first the first generation yeah. of people playing it are just the focus group testers and as they fix it for a year <laughs> yeah no it's true and i like seeing the massive day one download of the gigabyte you know um, yeah but back then we had to go out the way it was you couldn't fix it it was done that was it you know um so uh, you know i think rare games seem to be pretty stable bug wise but you know, it's it was just no one had any idea what was going on. I, I said it didn't. I just gravely told me what to do. I just did it. So I, you know, yeah. I, didn't, I didn't know what was going on. Yeah, we were very much left to our own devices. Uh, and 
as was the whole team really um mm. i mean nintendo would would get involved and annoyed when it was clear that we were going to miss an, yet another deadline yeah <laughs> um and and you know then it started getting a bit hairy but but for the most part it was i mean the stampers had their their projects that they were you know that was their team so mm. we had tim stamper that was doing the donkey kong games uh, or and banjo kazooie as, as as was um and chris stamper was his pet project was the was was blast core and so they were very focused on those and and just sort of left everyone else as long as it wasn't going wrong they gave yeah. us a lot of creative freedom and there was no yeah. it was before the days of producers we didn't have any producers there no. we didn't have any milestones or no i did i don't think i had one meeting <laughs> ever the only meeting we ever had was at e3 once when howard lincoln was saying oh, we yeah. need to get these games out or we're in trouble <laughs> <laughs> we're all sitting there like oh, no. oh my god yeah we're all a bit like you know completely shitting ourselves remember that yeah so did you guys get any creative feedback on the game around the music at all or was it just like here it is and they just put it in they never say hey you should tweak this hey you should do that was there any or it was just like this is what we think is great. And then you made it work and that's what's in the game. Yeah, I don't think I got any great feedback at all. I mean, Holly's maybe commented a bit at the start, but then gave up. And then mm. I just put in what I liked. And I think, I think I mean, you said, you said yes, Holly did talk to you a bit, Graham. <laughs> he talk, you know, he didn't talk to me that much. So I didn't really, yeah. I just pulled yeah, it I in mean, and yeah. We'd, we'd probably talk more about sounds and stuff, but I think once we got, once we get, once we got rolling, with the, with the tunes and we'd, we'd always played the tunes to the team yeah. um back in the day when you used to record it on a cassette tape and take it over to them would <laughs> put it in their in their hi-fi um and um i think once they realized that they could you know, we were at, so to speak a safe pair of hands and we were, <laughs> we were gonna ruin it they you know they were quite happy with what we came up with i don't think it was anything that well I can't remember. I mean, it's, it is a long, long time ago, but I don't think there's yeah. anything that someone said, oh, that's terrible. You've got to, you've got to change that. No, I feel like we just, you know, but like, like I said, once, I think once I got the sound palette sorted out, I mean, knew where we were going with it. You just all kind of fit together. And it's just a case of, you know, how can I use the Monty Norman tune differently in the next tune to the ne and the next one? Like, you know, it's basically that's all I ever did. Like, here's the, here's the theme, dress it up how you like, you know. That's, yeah. that's, it, you know. it is quite amazing because I'm pretty sure that if you did that today, then that, everything we wrote would be going through level of level you oh, know, yeah. be, it would go right back to mgm and and um yeah. barbara broccoli would be uh giving you a phone yeah. call yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly yeah. And, Bob, and, Bob, yes bob's were available <laughs> <laughs> and, next and, bond you know, next bond film with the reboot here we go we need yeah, let's do it. <laughs> Mont, you know monty's no longer with us but, but if he was i'm sure you know i want i want last refusal and all this kind of stuff and there'd be yeah. rewrites and reworks and and all this sort of stuff which you get now but yeah. yeah it's it it's crazy thinking about it how how we were just a bunch of people that uh, three of us had done a game before and the rest of us were straight out of college or yeah you know, from off the, the doll off the doll <laughs> <laughs> and yeah it's the james one license go on do whatever you want yeah 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 the, i mean the uh, for, for, so, Graham, you were your credit. You mentioned that how sound design was like a very generous credit, but I'm curious in terms of what what did that encompass? Were you responsible for sound effects, or were you responsible for anything within the sound of the game other than music? No, I did the sound effects, but I mean, when I I say sound design, but it was back then all we did was use stock. Mm. Uh, so stock sounds. I need to know where the the grunts came from. What library well, was? <laughs> Oh, well, they would either be a Hollywood Edge premiere edition or a Sound Ideas 6000. Mm. So it was, it was just some library, those grunts and everything. Yeah. One tip I'd say to everyone, you know, after that is if you put something as placeholder, don't put it in as placeholder because you'll it will stay there forever. You won't <laughs> go true. back and change it. Because I just stuffed, I, I remember where they came from. I was putting together a, um, a, a I was putting sound onto onto a Betamax one day for a show, and there was no game. It was all fudged and stuff, so there was no yeah. audio in the game. So I just stayed up one night and and plonked all the sounds onto it, and those were the sounds I used, and those were the sounds that ended up in the final game. I mean, <laughs> yeah, why on earth we didn't record? The people <laughs> I am um, so glad that's what happened though, because I mean that's what made the game fun. Those it was, and I think it. it 
continues today how games are trying to find this realism but there's always going to be that aspect of unrealism that makes the violence even though violence of course in reality is nothing to laugh at but the game violence to me was just so funny where you'd shoot a guy five times and he just be like, and then you know <laughs> just, you know collapse or he does this long animation of holding his head or like laying on the ground and just the shortness of the grunts it always reminded me of like you know david zucker movies like you know the leslie nielsen stuff a lot of the adr that just doesn't match up right quite but it just added to the experience and made everything so perfect and it was <laughs> yeah there's it, it, a lot of arrogance of you get back then and, and most of the stuff there was a lot of stuff that we did just because we found it funny which yeah. <laughs> it's not it's not the way i'd recommend you do you do stuff these days but you know if it made us laugh it stayed in and in in a way there's always there was always humor in in um, the roger moore films you know mm. there's, yes there's yeah. that, the, that bit when the car goes over the bridge and it's they've got like a swanny whistle go, playing yeah. <laughs> it's like Really? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I remember that, yeah. And also, like, the, yeah. The, the ricochets were like really over the top, weren't they? On the gun oh, they were like spaghetti westerns, yeah. yeah, yeah. Like Sergio like, Leone yeah. like library yeah. you got. So I feel like that all that kind of John Woo, wasn't it? That Martin used to always send the John Woo movies back then was, was super, super over the top. You know, yeah. the ricochets were crazy. Like, you know, I remember Graham going, I'm just going to put these in and it's going to be crazy, but everyone thought they were great. And it, just, it was just fantastic. You know, I think that, yeah. I think part of it, that whole over the topness of it all, you know. There's there's a scene when uh, I don't know which one it is, but Lee Van Cleef is he keeps going to pick up his hat and and right, yeah. keeps shooting, yep, it. and yep. you've got these insane ricochets. <laughs> and me and Martin were just watching it, and he was bent over laughing. <laughs> and so we just went with it, you know. It's like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> and the sound, uh, the sound of the the, the guns, like I, I mean. I feel like those still influence like what we think of a silencer, what it sounds like from just the PP7 being fired, whatever you used for like that. Again, that that was that was a stock that was a stock sound, and yeah. to me that was the sound that silencer made because if you watch those films from the seventies and eighties, they all use that sound. I mean, right. yeah, it's crazy now because I I get a lot of people asking about what's now known as the Diddy laugh, and it's the it's Diddy Kong racing. You turn it on, and there's these children laughing as, as yeah, yeah. You know, Diddy Kong's rough flying around his thing. It was just a stock sound, but it it's used everywhere. And the people yeah. have made lists of all the places, you know, and they're trying to find out where it originally came from. And um, yeah, back then that was all we did. You know, we didn't because we were, like I said earlier, one man bands. You didn't have people whose whose life and passion was sound design and uh, right. Yeah, it was just oh yeah, and you also do sound, and I've never done that. I you know I was a mm. composer, and I've learned as I've gone on. But you know, that was you know one of the first games I worked on, so that that's where it shows. And yeah. I have to hold my hands up and say, well, we didn't know any better. That's that's what we thought we had to do. Oh, it was yeah. the best. I mean, I still when I run over a guy who's already dead and he still screams from the tank, you know, <laughs> and he, oh, you know. <laughs> Yeah. The yelp. But I I grew up thinking that's what those sounds made. There's there's a there's another sound that isn't that's in, like used in blast call, which is when a plane lands. It always makes the same noise. It it does a, it does two squeaks. It does a, <laughs> and if you watch any plane being you know, landing in a film or TV, yeah, the screech. Yeah, use a screech. You know, it's the same as when anyone picks up a microphone in a the film. There's always a bit of feedback. Yeah, that magically yeah. goes away without doing anything, and and I think I just thought, well, that's what things sound like. That's how that's right. how you do it. I didn't really put any more thought into it than just copycatting other other films and TV programs. And I, I remember there's, there's, also, there's one sample, like one hawk sample on those all those CDs. Literally one hawk. It's like a screech, and like it was the only one you could find in those. And we had like massive libraries of these CDs, and like that's still the one you hear in like. TV adverts to this day when I'm, when a burger's across, it's the same screech that you hear. And that was like 1995. Yeah. It hasn't changed since then. It's the same one. Yeah, those those collections have been around since the 80s. I think. Yeah, they, they, they have. Came, yeah. I think they came out on either real to real real tapes or vinyl. You know, wow. Back then. There's a squeaky door one that I think everybody uses. Just the the, the metal door hinge, just like a lot. Yeah. Of, I mean, it's the exact same sound effect, like being used, just copy pasted. It's because like the screams, like I mean, the Wilhelm scream is one thing that's you know become yeah. an inside joke. But there's another scream that my brother and I grew up laughing at because it was so comical. We called it the John Woo scream because he used it in Broken Arrow and Face Off, and then he heard it in recently in Battlefield 2042, and he the, right. literally his character flew off, and it's like. Argh! 
and he just started dying <laughs> laughing like what is this doing here like you know it's just so the the fact that this permeates out of the work and you know can influence other people i mean i just i find it fun and engaging and the fact that we're talking about it now i think this is awesome <laughs> yeah but if it ain't broke don't fix it right so yeah <laughs> <laughs> these easter eggs that are you know known to the people who, who love the stuff that they're watching yeah absolutely um mm. but uh, so after Goldeneye came out, when, um, remind me of the timeline of, so Perfect Dark followed, of course, right. and was that, how soon did Perfect Dark come? Was it still being in development with Goldeneye or did it come later? I forget, I don't even remember the timeline. I'm sorry, I didn't. No, it, up, was a, but... it was the same team um, yeah. Yeah. With, with a few extra people because, you know, it, it, there was few, too few people working on it. So, um, yeah, that, that was a slow start um, because they were, thinking about the story and and trying to figure out the locations and stuff but it was all built on the same engine right um so um was there any pressure that the goldeneye was a big success that or or did you know about the success yet of when perfect dark was coming or is it just like here's the next game let's just get to this one <laughs> at the time it was here's the next game because yeah you know like like we said earlier goldeneye was a very slow slow and steady slow build player. yeah yeah um so it was just right that team now does something else that was more or less how it worked right wasn't it the teams yeah the teams but, stayed together at the time yeah but i remember that um um i think eon you know wanted Rare to do the next movie license didn't they and i remember because i think did you did you did you do the first studio tour and you went down to see it did you do yeah so but so the after going i was done I've got I've got went down with some of the team to to look at the the next film, which was was not enough, is it? Was that the next one? Yeah, I think. Uh, yeah. So, uh, so. Uh, tomorrow never is, tomorrow never dies. Tomorrow yes, never dies. Yeah, the, Elliot Carver, like, all that one, you know, the big skyscraper with the fall yeah. down it. And tomorrow never that, dies. Yeah, you know. yeah, yeah. So so I, I went down to 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 watch some of that getting filmed. I, we were watching that scene with the helicopter where he's on the bike and it slides on the ground and yeah, that we watched and watched it and kind of settle to Pierce and all that. But I think at that point. Rare already knew that they weren't going to do the next game, but we all went down anyway because it's a free trip to watch some film in Bond, right? You know. Yeah. Um, um, but I think I think Rare thought, why should we write another game, another another Bond game? Because we're going to give money away in licensing when we can write our own game and keep all the money. So mm. I feel like, and then and I was I, obviously Graham was doing was going to do Perfect Dark completely by himself. I, I was doing Banjo at that point. So yeah. But then of course after Perfect Dark started, Mr. Norgate decided to resign from Rare. So. And, and go and form Free Radical and go off to wonderful adventures. So I got, I was doing Banjo 2 in DK64 at the same time. And then they said to me, Graham's left. Can you do Perfect Dark as well? I was like, are you, are you? I did three of those games. And because Billy Mr. Norgate decided to go and leave. So I had to, do, I had to pick, up, pick up the reins again. <laughs> I got all his hand-me-downs. <laughs> those are good hand-me-downs though to this, to this day i think those, that era of rare still shines so brightly for so many people and mm. i mean i mean the fact that we, i can also play banjo kazooie banjo kazooie on the you know n64 expansion pack and you know i know perfect dark is locked up with like xbox and everything but i mean the fact that people can still visit these games and play them and i think it's just fantastic and the the legacy that it, they leave for something and just hearing that from from you two tonight hearing those stories of just how it was just you guys just trying to mess around and don't know what the <laughs> fuck you guys were doing, but, and ended up making the most iconic game of all time. You know, I think that's, that's the most beautiful story of everything. And I think it just shows why, you know, all these big AAA corporate things and from movies to cinema to music where it's, you know, the magic comes from like stuff like that, where it's, it's from just pure people, just figuring stuff out, doing what they love and, and working on a team, you know, <laughs> like that. So. Yeah. I honestly feel like all that kind of focus groups, I think it's done these days. Games get made by committee these days. So it's all, yeah. everybody likes it a little bit, but nobody likes it a lot. And I feel right. like back in, back at Red in those days, it was kind of one strong vision from the team lead. Most of the time you had a real strong vision and we just all went on with it. You know, yeah. I think sometimes these days in games, because it's tested out on focus groups and God knows what, it gets watered down and watered down. So you get this kind of game that everyone likes a little bit, but not a lot, you know. And I, I think it, that's something that is going to change these days. But back when we did it, because none of us, none of us had any idea what we're doing really, you know, I yeah. just thought, you know, if it sounds right, you don't care what process went into it, it sounds right to me. And I sometimes feel that sometimes, you know, sound guys these days use lots of tools and that's because this is the, the tools you're supposed to use. And I always say, and I'm sure I know Graham does, it doesn't really matter what tools you use, you know, if you've got 50 plugins or none, what does it sound like? If it sounds great, that's that's still that's all that matters. It doesn't matter what 
what the toolpath is or how, how how clever you are. It's like, does it sound any good? No, it doesn't. Why did you bother? You know? mm. Yeah, no, I agree. It's 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 not it's not how you get there. It's what comes out at the end, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and and you know, there's a lot to be said about the less you know about something, the more, yeah. risk, the more <laughs> risks you take. <laughs> well, I'm... And, and God, we couldn't have known much less. <laughs> Well, I'm glad you guys didn't know much less, and I'm glad you guys took the risks because, uh, um, yeah, I can speak for everyone just who loves this game. And thank you from it so much for sitting down tonight and taking the time to reflect with me. And and this is such a joy. And uh, I can't wait to go play as your characters and battle out as Graham and, and Grant in multiplayer awesome. now, online. Ed, Ed Harris, I'm taking that as Ed Harris. Yeah. You got the best one there, Graham. You did very well there. <laughs> no, I, wait, before we log off, I do, Greg Kinnear, that's who you were. That's what just popped in my head, Greg. Right, you were right. Greg Kinnear because you All had right. like the way your lips looked on that model. <laughs> All right. I, don't know. I, need to look, I need to look him up to make sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, but again, guys, thank you tonight. I think that that was an amazing conversation. And yeah, thank you so much for your time. Anytime, Kurt. Pleasure. Thank oh, you. I'll, I'll, I'll just see you soon when you get back to LA. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah.